Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with a top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. I am Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge, and I'm very excited to be joined today by David Rendell. Uh, if you're not familiar with David, uh, during the last 20 years, he's spoken to audiences on every continent around the world, and his clients include U.S. Air Force, Australian government, Fortune 500 companies like Microsoft, AT&T, United Health Group. He's the author of four books: uh, the factor, the four factors of effective leadership, the freak factor, the freak factor for kids, and our topic for today's conversation: the pink goldfish. Define normal, exploit imperfection, and captivate your customers. Um, so very excited to talk about his new course at Growth Institute, which is also titled The Pink Goldfish, and share a little bit about what it means to be different. So David, welcome to Conversations uh, at the Edge. And where are you calling in from today? Calling in from Raleigh, North Carolina. David, I want to start um, with a pretty crazy quote uh, that was in your course that only 3% of businesses are actually different and finding uh, key differentiators in the market. And I'm curious what that means, because I have to believe, you know, if we were to ask people how many of you are different, we would get much more than a 3% uh, hand raise from the audience. So can you talk about that statistic and, and what you're seeing is making companies really different? Yeah, so asking the companies isn't really the point, right? If you ask, if you ask a company, um, you ask the founder, are you different? They're going to say yes. And then when you ask them to explain it as an outsider, you're not going to understand anything about, well, we provide quality and value and service. And they're just going to say some things or our values or our people, which is what every other person says, right? So when the answers are the same. So the real question is when you ask your customers, what do they say? right? What do they say? Do they say you're different? And I think that's the real issue. If an outsider or someone who doesn't understand, and this is me most of the time, right? I'm a keynote speaker. I just got back from Indianapolis speaking to a group and I'm about to head to Houston to speak to a group. And so when I'm learning for the first time what they do, and then I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. What makes you different? And then they give me all those same answers. If I don't understand the difference, then no one else does either, right? Your customers don't understand the difference. So you're probably selling on price or something like that, but not lowest price. That isn't your strategy, but you think it's service, but you know you don't know. So I, I really think that's um, the issue. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you think internally. It matters what your customers say. Um, and that's where most customers say only 3%, right? Most customers say, I don't know the difference between going to Burger King, going to Wendy's and going to McDonald's. Uh, but they do know the difference in going to Hardee's because Hardee's has the thick burgers and Hardee's, you know, has the $5 bag and Hardee's doesn't care about um, soccer moms and kids and they don't have kids meals. Um, and whether you like Hardee's or not, you know that something different is happening there or Carl's Jr. out West, you know that something different is happening there than happens at the other places, right? But, but a lot of the other places are just you know, somewhere in the middle and there's no, there's no real good reason to go there or not to go there. It, you know, people go based on convenience or, or something like that. So why do you think so many businesses are missing out on this? Like, what are they getting wrong? Why are they not able to fully encapsulate like 
key differentiators. Yeah, well, that's the whole point of the book, right? Because different always looks wrong. Different looks bad. Different looks incorrect. Different looks inappropriate. Different looks like a mistake. Um, different never looks good. Um, so, so for example, when Airbnb first came out, they tried to get investors, but investors are rich people. And so rich people were like, why do I want to stay at someone's house while, while they're there? Like, what are you talking about? This sounds like the most stupid thing. Like, no, thank you. I'll stay at a nice Four Seasons or a Ritz Carlton and I'll have, you know, room service and maid service and all these kinds of things. Why would I? But that wasn't their audience, right? So the reason that it didn't look smart to a lot of people was because it wasn't something a lot of people would use. Um, and so it looked like a mistake. It looked worse than a hotel. It looked worse than what people were used to doing when they were traveling. Um, and that's precisely what made it successful is the weakness was a strength, right? The downside was an upside. The disadvantage was an advantage. But early on, especially, people can't see that. But even continuing, then you get pressure to make it more like a hotel. And okay, should Airbnb start buying some hotels? Should they get into the hotel business? So even maintaining the, dif the difference is difficult because people are always going to keep comparing you to, you know, to that other thing. Um, and so that's the whole point of the book, that any time you're going to differentiate, that difference is always going to look like a weakness. And it is going to be a weakness in some way. It's always going to turn some people off. It's always going to be not for you know some group of people. So you can't be different unless you're willing to do it wrong or to do something that goes against the, the traditional wisdom of, of what that industry seems to value, um, you know, you know, streaming, why do I want low quality video when I could have Blu-ray DVD, right? Um, you know, why do I want music on my phone when I could play it on my really nice speaker system at my house? I mean, over and over and over again, um, you know, why should I go out of my way to get this when this is more convenient? Um, but then there's people who do and there's people who will um, and that's what different companies figure out and, and they end up having an advantage then, but only because they're willing to make that trade off with a disadvantage, right? People still to this day complain about Microsoft. People to this day still complain about Walmart and they're two of the most successful companies on earth. And they've gotten comfortable with saying, yeah, some of it isn't perfect and some of it, some people don't want, but we know enough about what we're doing and we're comfortable making this trade off. So the, the shopping experience at Walmart is just it's become iconic, right? Iconically bad. And yet there's still a flood of people going to Walmart to save that money. The people who are willing to make that trade-off between the good and the bad. Um, but there's also a flood of people going to Target who are willing to make the opposite trade-off. I'll pay more to have a better experience. Um, and Apple's cool and everybody loves Apple. And people love to make fun of Microsoft and yet they just keep ticking away and keep grinding away and keep offering you one of everything, even if it's not the best. And the fact that it's all connected makes people want to use, um, especially businesses want to use Microsoft. And last time I checked, Bill was doing fine. Um, and last time I checked, Microsoft stock was doing fine. So people keep predicting the end of Microsoft and why can't you be more like Apple? And very few companies would say, let's follow the Microsoft plan, but the Microsoft plan's working great. Um, and so, so it's, you have to be comfortable at some point doing it wrong if you're going to do it differently. And that's why most people don't. What most people do, what most businesses do is they look at the leaders 
They model themselves after the leaders, and then they think that maybe someday they'll do it better than the leaders. And so if there was a quote that kind of encapsulate, encapsulates, you know, um, Pink Goldfish, it's that, and you've probably heard this before, that different isn't, or, or better isn't better, you know, different is better, right? Um, and so that's what a lot of people, I'll just do it better. Are you really going to do it better than the leader? Are you going to be bigger, stronger, faster? You know, um, at, there's, a, there's a book um, that Stan and I really like by the former head of a big um, marketing firm. And um, he talks about Red Bull. You know, if you're going to put out a caffeinated drink in the world of Coca-Cola, are you going to offer it in two liter bottles? Is it going to taste better? Is it going to be cheaper? Is it going to have a secret formula? Is it going to be really delicious? Is it going to be super refreshing? What is it going to be? Um, and it turns out, no, Red Bull's going to sell in a little can. It's going to kind of taste nasty, actually. Um, it's not going to be sold in big containers at all. Um, and it's going to create a whole new category called energy drinks. Um, and Coca-Cola is going to start losing market share to not just Red Bull, but to all the drinks, Monster, and all the other things that are basically like injecting yourself with caffeine. And people don't drink it because it's delicious. People drink it um, because it gives them the buzz that they need to keep doing their work or keep driving their truck or whatever it happens to be. So if you're going into that space, though, Red Bull did everything wrong if you're going to try to create a new beverage that's going to fight against Coca-Cola. But that's precisely what made it work. And they don't sponsor major sporting events. They sponsor, you know, the Flugstad or whatever, where people make their own airplanes and they sponsor obscure sports that you didn't know anything about. And they sponsor full-size cars driving up ramps like matchbox cars and launching themselves over onto the other ramp and jumping off the top of buildings and weird airplane shows that people didn't even know happened. Um, so everything about their playbook isn't just different when you compare it to what Coke is doing. It's wrong. It's a mistake. You're never going to win that way. You're never going to be successful that way. And yet that's exactly how they do. Yeah. That, I mean, it's super interesting. And we had a conversation last week with our guest, Don Monkhouse, and we were talking about as well. It's not necessarily about being the best, like you're saying. It's about being unique in some sort of way. Um, and one of the quotes that was also in your, in your course is don't just stand out from the crowd, avoid the crowd altogether. <laughs> and I think it's interesting because so in, in traditional like business education, we're trying to model the masters, right? And what we're saying now is don't necessarily model the masters or even take best practices, go make your own practices. And I'm just kind of curious about, you know, how you're seeing that play out. And if there's the risk of like missing something if we're creating our well, own category or ties you into playing the game right that, that everybody else is playing right instead of saying i'm gonna i'm gonna create a different game so i mean the number story the number of stories of this like we talk about alamo draft house cinema in the book and and you know no theater on earth actually enforces the no talking and no texting and no coming late and no bringing little children except alamo draft house does so if you look at best practices for running a theater, it's none of those things. It's drive people to the popcorn, upsell them on the snacks, um, get as many people as in as you can, offer coupons, 
have really big speakers and really big screens, make really sticky floors. Um, and, and that's about it. And most movie theaters are doing about the same. And when one theater gets nicer chairs, then the other theaters get nicer chairs. And when the one theater's chairs recline, then and then when the cup holders get bigger, and then and then that's and then there's stadium seating, and then somebody comes up with recliners, and you can pay a little more, and then people offer that. But nobody thought to kick people out if they talk in text. Nobody thought to make the movie watching experience sacred. Um, until Alamo Drafthouse did. And most companies don't have the guts to actually kick people out. If, I mean, every theater says it. Every theater says, put away your phones and whatever. Alamo Drafthouse Cinema takes it seriously. They kick people out and they're unapologetic about it. And so that's exactly what I think is the biggest problem. The best practices favor the company who's already winning. So if that's you, fine. But again, then that's the thing that makes you different. You're established, you're older, you're consistent, you're whatever. But when somebody's coming along, they're unlikely to, to if they're following your best practices, how are they going to make them better? They're following, right? They're not leading. So what is it that some customers want? What is it that the big people are missing? I mean, if you're small and they're big, you're unlikely to get bigger. So what can you do because you're small that they can't do? Can you be faster? Can you be more flexible? Um, you know, what is it? And, and that's another great example from the book. You know, we talk about Magic Castle Hotel. So if you look at best practices for hotels, have a good check-in system, do a good job cleaning the rooms, make sure you have good air conditioning, make sure it's clean and not gross, have a decent pool, have a below average fitness center with some weird rules about when you can use it, um, you know, have room service, have a restaurant, but it's probably not that great, um, but it's in the hotel, so it's convenient. Um, those are kind of, and if you want real best practices, it's the Ritz-Carlton, right? It's the Four Seasons. It's luxury. But so if you're a Hilton property, if you're a Hampton Inn, do you really need to go learn from the Ritz-Carlton? No, you need to be like, hey, people are just looking for some quick breakfast foods on their way out the door. There's a little sand, you know, there's a little bag you can grab. So regardless of what you're looking at, there's 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 established practices and make the make it consistent. That's the most important one. Make it consistent across the the properties. So then Magic Castle Hotel comes along and they put a popsicle hotline next to their pool and you can pick up this phone that's on the wall and they'll bring you whatever popsicles you want with white glove, silver tray and for free and not charge you at all. And what does everybody put on TripAdvisor when they leave Magic Castle Hotel? They go, oh my gosh, they have the Popsicle hotline. And here's the thing, like you said about best practices, you can go to the Ritz-Carlton and they have a training program. You can go to the Ritz-Carlton's training program on customer service and they're never gonna tell you to offer Popsicles. No one ever leaves the Ritz-Carlton and goes, oh, the Popsicle game at the Ritz-Carlton was weak. It was below average and below my expectations it's not even an expectation. So when people go to the Magic Castle Hotel, they're blown away precisely because not only is this not a best practice, it's a no practice, right? No one at any hotel of any kind anywhere goes, and if I wanted popsicles, what's the, is it delivery or do I have to come down to the front desk? Or like nobody thinks about it at all. And then with some things, they flip it on its head. So they don't have a mini bar. 
which again is where a lot of higher end hotels make their money, right? If you even look at something in the mini bar, you get charged $10 for a handful of almonds or whatever. And what they do at the Magic Castle Hotel, again, totally free, but you have to go down to the front desk, but they'll give you whatever. They'll hand you cans of Coke and they'll hand you Snickers bars and they'll hand you whatever you want and all for free, you just have to go down and get it, right? And they said, you know, oh, people are going to abuse that. Well, it turns out they don't. And if somebody does, then at some point, you know, they can deal with that particular customer. They're going to lose money, just like you might at a buffet with some people. Then they have an ice cream machine that also is by the pool, and it's also unlimited. So not only are they not doing best practices, they're just not doing the practices. Well, there's just no mini bar at all. We don't know what's the best way to do a mini bar. We don't care. We're just not even going to do a mini bar at all. They they think about the cost of laundering your stuff. Most places don't offer it. The higher end places do. At the Magic Castle, They'll launder it, fold it, wrap it in brown paper, tie it up with string and put a sprig of lavender in it and put it on your bed, right? Everything else at the place is unremarkable except all of the things that are. But And there's a book called The Power of Moments that talks about this. What it turns out is that a lot of the normal things don't matter. If your experience at a hotel is fine, then your experience at a hotel is fine. What you need is some magic. You need something interesting. You need something surprising. You need something remarkable to happen. So most people don't talk about their hotel experience because it was fine. Most people don't talk about their restaurant experience because it was fine. Most people don't talk about doing business with you because it was fine, right? So you need to give them something to talk about. And those nobody ever goes, oh my gosh, they the room was clean. I checked in. The elevators worked. The room service came when I called. Those are just basic expectations. Nobody goes online to talk about that. Um, and so that's part of the problem. That stuff ends up being invisible. And it almost was a waste of your time because nobody cares. And the other places are offering exactly the same thing. You get me, get me fired up, Alex. Get me fired up. <laughs> that's good. So I'm, you know, I'm curious. Um it sounds like this needs to go beyond just like a marketing campaign. It's not just, you know, looking different from, from a marketing standpoint. It really needs to like be pervasive throughout the organization's strategy. And I'm curious if you can talk about how you kind of embed these things into the DNA of an organization versus it just being a marketing gimmick or a... Yeah, because it doesn't you know. work if it's a marketing gimmick. It's not actually true, right? It has to be actual differentiation, right? It has to be actual. Di so for me, I'm known for pink, right? And I'm known for um, for differentiation and being unusual. Um, but I didn't put this on for you. Like, this is what I look like, right? I have actual pink tattoos. This is my wedding ring. Like, I'm not faking it for the camera and then I like go put on my gray clothes that I really like to wear, right? It's not a show, right? So it does have to be actual, um, it does have to be actual differentiation. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, and I think somebody even just put in the in the in the chat, you know, um, you know, on service. Um there's a guy named Stephen Knight who um, is part of EO Entrepreneurs Organization in Edmonton. And he saw this pink goldfish talk very early on. And one of the things we talk about is Nebraska was the worst state for tourism in the United States. They were 50th out of 50. And instead of trying to tell everybody like, we're New York City or we're Las Vegas or we're Colorado, we have they don't have any of that stuff. 
So their new slogan was Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. Uh, and it went viral. I mean, they were talking about this on morning shows in Australia, right? Um, and um, and and why, right? Because they weren't trying to change who they were. They were saying, this is what we've got. And some people are into it. And if you're not, this probably isn't for you, but we're not going to put on a show. We're not going to lie to you on a billboard and get you to come and then have you realize it stinks. Um, and, and that's what a lot of folks do. And then pe people feel burned. So that's actually one of our strategies. We call it exposing this kind of authenticity and vulnerability can be really powerful from from like Ashley Graham, the model, the first plus size model to be in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, who just puts herself out on Instagram every single day with fat rolls and stretch marks and breastfeeding her baby and, um, you know, not what most models would do, but people are so refreshed by the, the honesty and the reality of it instead of the airbrushed, fake, or anorexic, or actually sick um, sort of things that are put out there, they're refreshed to see someone go, and this is what I look like. And if you're into it, great. And if you're not, I don't care, but this is the way I live my life. Um, and so companies have the ability to do that um, as well. But but Stephen Knight, he saw, he saw the Pink Goldfish talk. He was inspired by the Nebraska example, and he does home services um, back there in Canada, they'll wash your windows. They have a business that does that. They'll 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 do all sorts of different things. They'll clean your gutters. They'll do all sorts of things um, at your house, um, and they'll fix all sorts of things. And they have all these diversified businesses. And they came back, and he bought everybody a copy of Pink Goldfish. They read through it consistently over time. I think a chapter at a time, and they really took hold of this. We're not for everyone, and they started saying no a lot more to their customers and no a lot more to requests that didn't fit their core businesses. And they saw a dramatic reduction in their turnover because people were frustrated um, that worked for them because they were always dealing with angry customers who were upset because the company didn't do something well because it wasn't something they do well, but they were just trying to be nice. Um, they saw a dramatic reduction also in um, warranty callbacks. So in that business, you have a warranty and then people are like, well, you did it wrong, come back and do it again. And you're not getting paid for that. And so they saw a dramatic reduction in that as well. So they saw a dramatic improvement overall in their business and an increase in their profits because they simply took one of these things and integrated it, like you said, into their strategy. So it does need to come at some point. It needs to be part of the whole organization. It can't be marketing trying to throw something on at the end, um, but it also can't be just a push from the top that we should do this, but nobody buys into it. At some point, you know, you have to try it out for yourself. You have to um, test it out and see, you know, if it's going to work for you or how it's going to work for you. And the question isn't really if, I mean, the whole book is just examples. So it does work. The question is, do you have sort of the courage to try it or does it feel safer to you to just go like, well, at the trade show, everybody had blue logos. So I guess we'll have a blue logo. And at the trade show, nobody did anything unusual. Like Dave said, they just all talked about their value and their service. So I guess we'll talk about our value and our service. What you don't know is a lot of those companies are failing and losing money. And that's what you're about to start doing too. But you assume they must be doing it for a reason. And I think that's the biggest mistake. Assuming the other people must be doing it for a reason instead of wondering 
is it actually working for them either? Or are they just following the leader? Yeah. So you get a couple questions from the audience. Uh, Victor's asking, do you have a good benchmarking template that you suggest to run competitive analysis versus your market? Are you even doing that? Yeah. I mean, actually, that's one of the things we actually talk about is don't benchmark, right? Don't, don't, don't ask what are they doing? What are they doing right? What's the standard? Create a new standard, right? If Alamo Drafthouse Cinema benchmarked the way other um, theaters run, they never would um, have enforced the talking or texting. Um, they, it's the guy happens to love movies and he doesn't want people bothering while he's watching movies. The, the Alamo Drafthouse here in Raleigh has like thousands of VHS tapes that you can rent and they obviously have to rent you a VHS player as well, because the guy's obsessed with movies, right? And so he has his video collection on there. So it's actually just getting away, because again, benchmarking is we're here, there, where, right? So instead of, again, you know, that's the, don't don't stand out from a crowd, avoid crowds altogether. How do you create a different category completely? And it won't be by competing, it will be by doing something different, right? Doing something different. Um, you know, people remember me and hire me because they say, hey, can you get the pink guy? Can you get the pink freak guy? Can you get the pink glasses guy? There's other things that I do that are different, but nobody's like, well, you have to pick a color and then whichever color you pick, really go with it. Like that's not on anybody's list. Now, what's interesting is people who do it, like the Savannah Bananas guy wears a pink uh, or a, a yellow tuxedo with a top hat everywhere. The people who actually do that, it actually works for them quite well, but it hasn't become best practices or benchmarks anywhere. It's seen as sort of a fluke or something like that instead of something that, that's valuable um, or memorable. So I think benchmarking, again, keeps you competing at the same standards, keeps you playing the same game. We're trying to get you to play a different game altogether. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates, or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again, and see you next time.